Welcome to the Baxter Bowman Podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. Today's podcast is part of the Hunt Elk in 2020 series, where I walk my friend and new bow hunter Josh through what he needs to know for his first over-the-counter public land bow hunt. It's based on everything I learned that made me successful for three out of the first four years I bow hunted elk. I've found that I'm learning just as much as he is from this process, and I hope you do too. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's Baxter. Got Josh on the line as always. Josh, how you feeling? Doing good. Fourth week in a row, turkey hunting, getting a little tired, still unsuccessful. <laughs> Dang it, you're trying. <laughs> yes, I am trying. Oh man, we'll have to cover that in another episode for sure. It's uh California turkey hunting is a learning experience for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's been super fun though. Yeah, awesome. Well, we've got a we've got a ringer today. Um e-scouting and how to pick the best elk hunting spots. I think of all the things, uh, knowledge I can pass on, this is like one of the things I'm best at. And so this is a, I'm pretty excited about this one. Awesome. And this is an interesting one. Cause if I think about myself as a brand new hunter, I, let me think maybe a year ago, I didn't even know about e-scouting. Like I, it wasn't even a concept in my mind that I knew it existed. So when, when I first heard you talk about it, it was definitely really interesting. Cause it felt like with technology now on our side, it can make your chances of success way higher out there. Oh yeah. No, I think that's, you know, it's relatively new and I think it's the point where a lot of guys still haven't heard about it, but you know, if you're doing one thing other than actually training, you know, shooting your bow or lifting or whatever, you know, running in the off season, like this is it, this is the number one thing because you can cover, you know, thousands and thousands of spots on Google earth that would take you a year to do in person. Right. Right, right. Yeah, the power of it's just incredible. So yeah, maybe we we open it up by talking about like why it's helpful and what my experiences with e-scouting have been, and then uh, we can talk about a few other things too. Like what are the best tools? Um, you know, everyone talks about Google Earth, and it we can wrap up with some some good tips for Google Earth too. But there's a lot of other ones that folks don't consider. You know, the best is when you got a few different tools, and then uh, we wrap it up by like a step by step to how to pick the best elk hunting spots i think guys need a lot of structure um for that but it's worth noting to guys out there listening this is uh as always this is paired with an article on the website and this one more than any other article like if you want the tactical how-to and the gritty detail of how to set it up and edit that that's all on the article on the website we'll put the link um in there but and what's the website uh baxter yeah good point it's (laughs) baxterbowman.com same name as the podcast um but definitely go there for that stuff. We're going to talk a little higher level of why and some extra detail on exactly how you do a great job at e-scouting today. Awesome. So yeah, so tools, tips, and step-by-step. Yeah, for sure. And you know, to your point too, Josh, like the whole why behind it, like you can just cover a diff- like a totally different level of terrain with e-scouting than you can um, on foot, right? So if you're going into your average spot, you know, you can hike up, take a look at this wallow or take a look at that Creek or go check out that Vista. And that's great. But you know, it's a whole weekend to cover two or three miles. And one of the greatest things about e-scouting is you can cover an entire unit in like three hours, 
right? <laughs> right. What do you think are the pros and cons of e-scouting versus on the foot scouting? I I know like, or like boots on the ground scouting. I know the first point you kind of brought up is the time obviously and covering a lot of ground, but what are some others? Yeah, that's a really good, really good question. I think they're, they're pretty like complimentary if you had to put it in, in one word. Uh, but if I had to choose every time I'd go e-scouting. Uh, so for with e-scouting, you're going to cover like a ton of ground, right? You see a lot of stuff and it helps you select areas really fast. So that's just something you can't do with boots on the ground. I mean, maybe if you live there and you're there all summer, but again, you've got like a two month window when the snow's gone and the elk aren't even in the area you're at. So mm -hmm. e-scouting is just an absolute winner on that. Another one that you absolutely can't do um, on the ground is is look at stuff over time. So e-scouting will allow you to look at satellite imagery every year, uh, which is huge if you're trying to figure out is that wallow dry in September or not, right? You can go check it out. Uh, so that's a big one. You know, I think the the biggest one is that you can you can figure out the exact spots and views you want and then put it in your GPS versus with hunting, you'd have to go experiment with each spot and then mark it. Mm -hmm. so it kind of like gives you something to work off of. The things you scouting can't tell you that boots on the ground scouting is going to be way better for is like the amount of sign that's there, the little nuances, like all these, these maps, topo maps and digital satellite stuff. Like they, they will never show you a bench, right? Like a, a 10 by 30 foot bench, which is all right. they'll need. That's just not going to show up. That level of detail is not there. So what looks like a totally flat, you know, 45 degree hillside might actually have three or four benches on it that are really, really helpful. Um, and then boots on the ground. Of course, you're looking for elk if they're there, but uh, there's a lot of sign they leave year over year, you know, rubs, um, even some tracks that just freeze in place. Uh, trails, they beat into the ground so deep you know, every year because they use them so much that they're there, even though they haven't mm -hmm. been used in nine months. You know, a lot of things, wallows, a lot of wallows stay year over year as well. Uh, so I just, I'd really say they complement each other and you're really verifying your e-scouting when you go scout boots on the ground. But uh, I honestly think that you can just show up only scouting and do pretty darn well. Gotcha. So yeah, I like that point you said about verifying. So it seems like e-scouting is just all the work you could do upfront to put you in the best spot and then you show up and verify, or it gives you the best chances at finding the where places are elky, as they say, right? Or like high probability for elk. Oh, totally. Yeah. And you know, again, on our like recurring theme here, the number one factor is getting away from other hunters. Mm -hmm. And so I think e-scouting is one of the biggest purposes of e-scouting is looking from like a bird's eye view and going, okay, how are humans going to get into this area? You know, so right. You can look at trails, you can look at roads, you can look on the trails on the other side of the mountain. You can look at escape routes through that saddle over there, things you just couldn't see from the ground. And you know, oh, okay, this is where the elk are going to go to. This is where they're going to want to be when there's people coming from all these places. Gotcha. Yeah. And there's so much that we can't control, but especially now during you know, the month of April, like way before elk season, it sounds like e-scouting and, and spending time doing e-scouting is a great investment of your time beyond just training. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, I would, I would say someone's success rate goes up like over 10% if they've got multiple spots scoped out e-scouting by the wow. beginning of the year, which is massive uh, because you're just, you also just save so much time, right? Because if you go you know, a lot of guys can pick one spot or they, they hear from a buddy or they, you know, call someone in a sports shop or they call the biologist 
and they just show up at that spot and something might go wrong or there's just not elk there. It might be a good spot with no elk, right? We've talked about that. Mm-hmm. And then what, right? You can spend a day or two just fishing around trying to find another one uh, versus right. if you've got two or three, four or five, 10 spots, you just go right to it. Uh, that day, day and a half is that's a huge bonus. Yeah. How, this might be getting a bit off topic, but how much time would you recommend someone e-scout? Like how much time did you e-scout before? Oh, you're crazy. So you probably e-scouted a ton because you are so detail oriented, but uh, at a minimum, like what, what do you think would be a good amount of time to get a decent plan A and maybe a plan B and C? Yeah, no, that's a great question, man. Um, you know, I've done both extremes. You know, I think a lot of guys hop on Facebook at work when they're bored. I'll fire up Google Earth and just like <laughs> get my little research project going. So I'll do a ton, but I also have seen amazing results from just a half a day. Uh, so the second year I was hunting, uh, I was in Colorado and the same place I hurt, hunted the first year. And uh, I don't know if we talked about that story. We'll get to it another time. I shot an elk on the first morning, the second year. Um, so got really, really fortunate there. Uh, but that means I'm not hunting again in Colorado. Right. And at that point I was still between jobs. So I was like, Oh, this is perfect. I'm going to Idaho. So I had a four day window between Colorado and Idaho to scout. And I only had about a day of that to do anything other than drive or pack or, you know, hang out with family. So in a half a day, I was able to find the spot that I've been hunting now for three or four years. And uh, that spot has been phenomenal. So you don't have to spend a week at this stuff. You can spend three, four hours, get set up and really quickly. Um, it's, it's not cheating, but it's a pretty big advantage. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, I was under the impression that I would have to e-scout, like, like put in an hour a week or something like that all the way till season. But in three to four hours, it sounds like you can get a big piece of that, uh, project research project done. Yeah. And the true magic happens you know, after one, two, three seasons, when you've been e-scouting and you've been going, because you learn in your brain what something looks like on the ground and what it looked like in the air. Right. So it actually, it's a little tough when you've never been somewhere and you're kind of figuring it out. But once you get that, that set, like I guarantee you, if you gave me an hour now, I could find some phenomenal spots in an hour. Gotcha. Just because it's, I know that and I've learned that. So it's like one, again, like everything here, it's a learning experience. And like the more you do it, the better you get. So it can, it can go pretty darn quick. Right. So maybe a good plan would be for me to e-scout for half a day and then go do a boots on the ground just to close that feedback loop and verify and just see the differences of what I see when I'm there versus on the computer and then come back and do one more e-scouting session. Oh yeah. That was a very technical statement. Verify, close the loop. I like it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think a lot of guys don't have the vacation time or the budget to do it. And if you Mm -hmm. don't like whatever, you'll just, you'll get that in elk season for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, don't worry too much about it. If you're like, really want to go for it, it's great. Yeah. Give it a shot, but uh, you'll pick up on it. Okay. But, cool. Yeah. And maybe we talk a little bit about the tools too, mm-hmm. right? Um, I mean, you've used Google Earth before, correct? I have a little bit. Last year, e-scouted a bit and roughly planned out where I was going to go for my scouting trip. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't spent too much time in it. Maybe a few hours. Yeah, and you'll, yeah, I know that was me talking to you about it, but you'll also, you go Google this, you take courses or whatever. They're all going to tell you Google Earth, Google Earth, Google Earth. And uh, that's not bad advice. That is by far the best tool. And we'll talk about why here in a minute. But I think one of the things I've learned over the years is that the most important stuff is to look at a few different sources. So number one on those is the state hunt planners. 
So I think we talked a little bit about this in the first episode, but Idaho and Colorado both have like a hunt planner or a Colorado hunting atlas that they put out. And those are absolutely critical because they, um, you, a lot of these other maps show trails, they show roads, they just put it on there and they, they're not smart. They don't know if that road's open. They don't know if it's closed in hunting season versus those state hunt planners. It's literally the biologist saying, yeah, that's the road that you're okay to go on. That one you're not during elk season, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So it shows you the like huntable terrain. Exactly. And they usually include a lot more information, like what's the access type on this road? Can you do ATV? Is it motorcycle? Is it just hiking? Is it that sort of thing? So there's a lot of information on those that you won't get on Google Earth. Okay. And you could just Google it, state hunt planners. Like- yeah, I've got links on the the article, but I think the Idaho one's called the Idaho hunt planner map and Colorado one's called the Colorado hunting Atlas. Uh, when you do fire those up, you gotta, you have to make sure you go click the roads layer. Otherwise it's just not there. So that's, Mm -hmm. you know, decently annoying for a lot of guys, but just keep on soldiering on. So you get that going. It's well worth it. I keep taking notes and then I realize, like, wait, I, I'm just going to go to your blog post later. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's all there. And we're, we're not talking about the nitty gritty. So there's, you know, like I literally have links and how to do it and a play by play, that sort of thing. So you can go get it. Yeah. So that's a really important one to get because um, you want to have that. Honestly, I have that open while I'm looking at Google Earth. I'm kind of flipping back and forth. Usually I have three things open I've got Google Maps, I've got Google Earth, and I've got the Hunt Planner open. Uh, and we'll talk about why here in a second. But uh, you know, Google has a lot of different versions of what they do. They've got Google Maps, you know, just maps.google.com. They've got Earth, Google Earth Mobile. They've got like a mobile app version of it. They've got an online version of Google Earth. Mm-hmm. And then they've got like a downloadable version. So it's super confusing. And a lot of guys are like, which do I use? Where do I go? Well, you know. Are you using the downloading one or the... Yeah, I used the downloadable version. And I think I downloaded a really old version or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I messed around with it a bit. It looks old. And I think, yeah, I think I would have steered you that way when we first talked for a lot of good reasons. Um, and so that's Google Earth Pro, the downloadable one. That's the one you want. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, the reason being is that actually used to be paid software. It was like 400 bucks, I think. And they sold it to companies for like satellite analysis and a lot of really intense stuff. Um, And that's, so it does look pretty old when you download it, but it is so much better than all the other versions that you've got to get it. Uh, There's a few things that are like really unique to it. One is that, you know, the historical imagery we talked about, that's that's only on Google Earth Pro. Oh, where you can, and that's where you can like basically scroll through time and like see like, oh, typically in September, this whole area is covered in snow. So I, mm-hmm. I won't be able to go there versus yeah. other maps where you won't be able to see the weather conditions changing. Exactly. Yeah. And then you can see everything in 3D. You know, some maps have 3D, but this allows you to like rotate it and zoom into that exact spot. Mm-hmm. So for example, you could find like a little glassing point and drop the little dude on it and look from that point, it'll show you if, you know, another mountain range is going to cut off your view or like, it's really cool. And then I I could just go on and on with this. What else? Waypoints. Like if you want to drop a waypoint and put it in your GPS, the only way to do that is Google earth pro. Got it. So it's basically a mandatory download. Yeah. For the brand new people out there, what is a waypoint? Yeah. A waypoint is a little GPS marker. It's a, it's a GPS coordinate, right? Um, latitude, longitude, 
uh, northern hemisphere would be like you know forty five dot three eight seven north by something west, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an exact spot on Earth where something is. So if you find it on Google Earth, you can enter that that number basically. We don't have to enter the number; you just mark the waypoint, and it'll attach. But oh, guys, so it's like a pin. It's like a pin to save exactly, and you pass okay. it over to a GPS plug that puppy in and all you have to do is just walk right to where it tells you to go. And then you're standing right on what you saw on the map. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. cool. So that's how you connect those two, right? The, on the boots, the boots on the ground, hunting or scouting with the, you know, eye in the sky stuff. Right. Yeah. So it's pretty, uh, it's pretty good. Um, you know, another one I get a ton, and I think, uh, you and I are both Onyx subscribers is, is it worth it to get Onyx? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've, how long have you been using Onyx? Uh, wow. Actually, it's been longer than I thought. Probably almost a year now. Yeah. Since my scouting trip. I love it. Yep. It's freaking awesome. And I think you'll, like a lot of guys push it because they have referral fees and sponsorships and all that sort of stuff. Um, but honestly, they're a fantastic freaking company and it's a really good product. Uh, but that being said, while we're talking scouting tools, like I don't think guys really need to have it if you're going to hunt just public land elk, because a lot of it's you know, the real benefit of Onyx is like the private land boundaries um, and stuff like that. And if you're in a big giant national forest, you can get a lot of that from from Google Earth. You're not worried about stepping on the private land. Yeah, but uh, the thing I do like about Onyx is like, well, I guess because I don't, <laughs> I don't know the basic skills of map and compass, so I like just being like, look at we're the gonna screen, work like, on oh. that. By the way, yeah, no, I do need to work on that. <laughs> but I'm like, well, oh, where am I? And like, it just it gives me it gave me peace of mind, especially my first scouting trip, going out there backpacking alone, first time backpacking out alone. I didn't want to get lost, so it gave me peace of mind knowing I don't need signal. I know where I am. The trails over there. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it basically functions as a GPS in the field too. Right. Which is fantastic. Then you don't need to buy one. You know, the downside of that is like, you're relying on something like a phone that's not as waterproof or doesn't have replaceable batteries. Mm-hmm. So I'd be a little skeptical of you just using that, especially if you don't know, like map and nav- like compass navigation. Right. But, uh, but yeah, it's super great. The other thing, you know, while we're at it, like it has satellite imagery on it. So when you're in the field, you can see the satellite imagery. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. Even when we went turkey hunting, like you can see this area is super thick and it's like, oh, I don't really want to go through there. Let's go this way instead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, clarify, we're not sponsored by Onyx. We both have it. We like it. Uh, you definitely don't need it for scouting, but you know, can't hurt. Um, yeah uh i do like it i do like it um but also you made a good point about like the phone battery and it not being waterproof because technically i was risking my safety and like my whole trip and possibly my life if we're being dramatic (laughs) just on my phone which is really you shouldn't risk anything on like one thing nothing should all just hang on like one thing to ruin it all Oh, heck yeah. Sounds like you learned something from that safety uh, talk we had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, if you're going to talk about spots, you're always talking about your plan A, B, C, D, E, F. But if you're talking safety, you should be even more, you know, serious about what's your backup plan here. Because mm-hmm. stuff, it's not, it sounds paranoid and it makes you sound a little nutty, but guys that have done it long enough, they just know how fast stuff changes. Like things go bad really quick and i'm not trying to scare people but it's just it's like you don't need it until you do 
And then when you right. do, oh man. So you're like, I, I, here's a great example of that. I was out chucker hunting, not elk hunting uh, one year and I didn't take my GPS. I'd been to this spot, you know, three, four times, getting a little cocky. I'm very good with a map and compass um, and orienteering. And I just said, hey, I don't need it. I went up, got up to the top of the mountain, had a pretty good hunt, very worn out, coming back, boom, white out snowstorm, right? Whoa. Um, and I was decently prepared, but it was pretty cool, pretty apparent, pretty quick. I was getting pretty numb, like having trouble kind of walking because I was so cold, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and after a little bit, I was like, dude, I actually don't know. I know which drainage goes to the parking lot, but I don't know if that drainage is this one or that one. And that's a really, really bad feeling. And I, you know, I'd banked on the banked on just using the compass to be like, oh, okay, well, that's that mountain, that's this. I can triangulate and drop. But when you can only see 10 feet, you're host. Oh. So, you know, if you're in a situation like that and your phone battery, which is lithium, gets cold and craps out, you know, it's it's a bad spot to be. That's so. right. Did you end up was that the right drainage? Uh, I ended up just sitting there for like an hour, um, an hour or two and the snowstorm had a little gap and I got a view and I was like, okay, Dang. there it is. Um, so like you said, if you want to be dramatic, my life depended on getting a good view. Uh, mm-hmm. if you want to wow. be undramatic, you can say, well, Hey, there's probably was going to be a break in the storm. Eventually I could have just walked in circles, but it's just not a good feeling. Right. Yeah. Did you know there was, I mean, obviously you didn't know there was going to be a break, but was your plan to be like, I'm staying here till there's a break. I don't want to just like panic and go down a direction and get lost. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We'll have uh-huh. to do a whole, whole episode on like survivability. This is one of my favorite subjects, like the, the surviving mindset and like the things you should do. I just, it's really yeah, fascinating I- to me. The guys that have been in that, but number one, one of the biggest rules is like, if you don't know where you're at, you stay put. Oh, that is a good tip because I probably would have panicked. I probably would have just like, I'm going to go down the street. It was wrong when I'm going to come back and then white out. And then, yeah, yeah. no, that's how it's how you get in trouble, man. But yeah, it's, we'll have to do another one on that, especially before you go. But cool. Anyway, yeah, now next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Google. Yeah. On X. Good. Great. Don't need good. Uh, Google Earth Pro, right? Lots really, really powerful tool, like really phenomenal thing. Um, and a lot of tips and tricks. So I think a lot of guys can jump into it and get really immersed and it's cool because you've kind of already used it a bit. So these might kind of resonate with you, but maybe we talk about a few like general tips for getting started and how to use it before we get on to like how to find good elk spots. How does that sound? Yeah. Uh, before we actually get to tactical tips, um, you mentioned, so the, the three tools you mentioned was Google Earth Pro, Google Maps and Onyx. Uh, why would you use Google Maps when you already have Google Earth Pro and Onyx? I had totally blew by that. Uh, so Google Maps gives you a much better view of roads. So it's, you know, if you're looking at Google Earth on satellite, it's pretty hard to zoom out and figure out where all the roads are in somewhere. Oh, yeah. Even versus, like highways, they just look so small. Exactly. And versus the non-satellite version, I don't even use the satellite version of maps. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's That's all it's designed to do is show you where roads are. So it's a really, really good way for you to you know dive in and just see like, okay, here's the general roads going through this area of the mountains and then look and go, okay, here's a blank spot in the map that nothing's in. It's a really fast way to zoom in on those high-level ones. So I might start in Google Maps, you know, then look at where are the blank holes in the map, then jump over to the hunt planner to make sure, verify that, right? 
Right. And then once they find those, I'll go really dig into them with Google Earth. So kind of that one, two, three. Got it. Yeah. And actually, now that I look back on how I plan my scouting trip, I don't know if this is just like because I'm so familiar with Google Maps, but I literally just typed in my hunting area and then into Google Maps from Denver Airport and just see how Google Maps would route me there. And they got me close enough. Then I jumped over to Onyx and was like, all right. And I, I literally traced out, here's the road I'm going to take into the unit mm-hmm. and then save that onto my phone. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, you're kind of doing it already, right? Yeah, but that was kind of like just out of, I didn't know what else to do. You know, I, I just know how to use Google Maps. I wasn't sure if it was a dumb way to do it, but like, hey, can I drive right into there? And then it's like, oh, wait, you get close enough. But then the Onyx or some other uh, tool can take you there the rest of the way. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's one of the takeaways with e-scouting is any one of these tools can do all the things, but it's not going to do everything well. Mm. So when you've got the one tool that works really well for that application, and then you're kind of confirming it with the other ones, you're going oh, to get such a better result, right? Got it. It'll give you all the different pieces of the picture to give you the, the whole picture in the end. Yeah. Oh, and to be fair to Onyx, one other thing that they've got that's phenomenal is uh, a roadless areas layer. So, you know, we're talking about looking for those on the Google Maps. You just flip that on and it colors any area that's more than a mile from a road, like different shades of purple. Oh, I haven't used that layer. Yeah, you should. That is that is a fantastic layer. If you're looking to avoid people, that's one of my oh, go-tos. Yeah. Interesting. So you can turn on and then basically purple means like decently good for hunting areas. Generally. I mean, if it was that or easy... One, then everybody be hunting purple, right? And <laughs> it wouldn't work, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. like one filter. I mean, one, one filter to take off like roads. Yeah, totally. Areas. Got yeah. it, got it. Okay, cool. Exactly. Awesome. Does that answer your question? Yes, yeah, it does. Perfect. Yeah, let's talk, uh, let's talk tactical tips. And we'll hit these pretty high level because I've got like real detailed versions of this on the blog. But you know, one of the biggest ones I tell guys is there's a setting in Google Maps that allows you to make they call it elevation exaggeration, I think, like make mountains bigger, like Mm -hmm. do that (laughs) because everybody does the same thing. They look at these spots on Google earth and any sort of scouting tool and they go, Oh, that mountain doesn't look that big. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you show up there and Oh man, like it's very possible to make plans that are completely out of touch with reality. Uh, so that's actually exactly what happened to me on my scouting trip because <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know there was a setting you can, uh, so it's like, it's almost like a, che- like a button you click or like a mm-hmm. checkbox you set. And then all of a sudden mountains look taller. You actually get to choose how much you want. I used oh. to go 1.5, uh, okay. X. Yeah. You can, that's all the details are on the blog, but yeah, that's a big one. Cause it's, I mean, it never fails. Like I went for a run yesterday and I think it was like a six or seven mile run. I was like, oh, there's a decent amount of climbing on that. I was like, I'm curious. I just want to go look. And if you look at Google Maps, it's like basically flat. I think it was like <laughs> 400, 500 feet of climbing. And you know, it feels like a lot when you're running. Mm-hmm. But on Google Earth, it looks like nothing, right? So you know, guys might go out and go, hey, 2,000 foot climb, no big deal. And that's a monster climb. Got it. Okay. Yeah. 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 So definitely setting that up right off the bat. It's a really good way to kind of keep yourself safe from over extending yourself digitally so to speak yeah do you remember uh, what that setting is called yeah i'm looking it's literally elevation exaggeration then you just elevation. go to the blog and i've got a little step-by-step how to change it perfect um, there which is good the you know the perspective piece we talked about using uh, using the different eye in the sky for 3d but there's really three different ways you can do that you can either 
like switch around which way is north. You can adjust the angle at which you're looking. So if you're in a plane, are you looking straight down from the plane? You're kind of looking out to the side. Mm. And you can then drop yourself onto the ground and look up from the ground. So we won't dive into how to do those, but like every spot you look at, like just using those different angles will really, it's so much better than just like looking at something from straight above. And that's one of the primary benefits to Google Earth Pro versus just some picture of the ground, right? Right. Okay. So Google Earth Pro, look at it all different angles, use the elevation exaggeration, and then you can drop that little, that's that little person you're talking about, right? Right on that spot and then see what it would be like from there. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah. And then two more tips before we go through like how to start looking for spots. But the other one is like, we talked about the historical imagery, like that is, man, it's hard to state that, overstate that as like an important thing because that is my one big criticism of Onyx, like probably my biggest one, is that they just use one image. And the image of the hunting spot I'm in actually is when there was snow in there. Hmm. And so it's really frustrating because when I'm looking at satellite imagery, I can't see anything as far as like, is there grass there? Is there, you know, I can see rough trees, but you just don't know. And the same goes for the scouting. If you're scouting on Google Earth or something and you're using imagery from like April or May, Right, A, it probably still under snow, but say you're in, in June, maybe everything looks phenomenal. You're like, holy crap, that looks so green. That looks so green. That's got water everywhere. But in reality, in three months, that's all going to dry up, right? There's mm-hmm. gonna be no grass and no water and spot that looks phenomenal. You just completely shot yourself in the foot. Right. Yeah. So again, I've got step by step of how to use that, but it's uh, another great story with that one actually on Idaho. When I was looking at the spot there, you know, it looked, I kind of had, this is what the third or fourth year I've been using Google Earth. So I kind of had it down to a science. And I was like, man, this spot looks freaking phenomenal. It's one of the best spots I've ever seen. Uh, you know, I just get these, this great feeling about it. And I remember flipping through the imagery and I flipped back two years and there are three elk standing in the meadow. <laughs> yeah. I was actually thinking about this story because I remember you showed me and I showed was like, you that, yeah. no way. There's three elk right there on the picture. Right there. Yeah. So it's, uh, that's the level of stuff you can get down to, but you know, if you can flip through the year by year progression, it's so worth it. Right. So definitely, definitely use that. Got it. Yeah. yeah. So would you recommend, um, always looking at like September in the area you're going at, or would, is there value in scrolling around like the timeline in that area? There's a lot of value in scrolling around the timeline. You know, I think the, the hard thing about it is they don't have a shot like every month. They typically have one shot a year. Oh, okay. Right. So I think that the way, like what you want to do is you want to make sure it's at least August. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'd say it, you know, August, September, and then into October, even November, if there's not snow yet, because mm-hmm. uh, you're just looking for the period of time when it's dry. Right. Dry. Right. And so you don't use June, July. I would take a photo from 10 years ago in September, October, August over a photo from a year ago in June. Oh, wow. Yeah, just because that's going to show you, is that water source something that dries up or is it something that's there all the time? Right, right. Okay. Yeah. And that's that's everything for elk hunting, right? It's really those those three things, which we'll get into in a second. Cool. Yeah. And then, you know, the last one is like save waypoints. Like it, I remember there's been so many times I get into Google Earth and I get all excited on a spot and I look and I go, hey, there's water here, there's a meadow there, there's, oh, look, there's a wallow I found and oh, look, there's an elk trail. Because you can see all that stuff too, which is amazing. 
and then and then I forget to save it, right? And then you got to go do it all over again. So it's like the bytes, the digital bytes are free. Like just save everything you find. Um, it's really easy just to select all those things and send them to your GPS. So it's, right. I, that's one of my biggest things. It's like just start marking everything you're looking at. Yeah, and I know you you kind of uh, said that pretty quickly, but yes, you can see game trails on Google Earth Pro, which was crazy. I remember the first time you showed me that. Yeah, and I was blown away. Like the level of detail is insane. Yeah, and I mean we probably should have opened with that because a lot of guys are like e scouting. Why do I need to do that? But man, when you get into the fact you can see elk, you can see game trails, you can see wallows, like it's off the charts. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty good stuff. Um, and then the last thing that like a really good thing for guys to use is the uh, they have a ruler in Google Earth Pro. It's like a little ruler app, and again on the blog, but they have a path version of that, and that is one of the best tools you can ever use because literally you just click your path along where you want to go, just makes this nice little line, and then you click a little button that just says "Show me the elevation profile," and it'll tell you exactly how long that is, two point six five miles, and then it'll tell you exactly how many feet up or down it is. Oh, nice. I don't think I use that. It's so useful because you go one elk season and you're like, okay, a thousand foot hike is about my max in a day or something like that. And, you know, I don't want to be more than two to four or five miles from the road because that's as far as I can carry an elk out and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, otherwise, you're just guessing because a lot of guys will go, okay, well, that's two miles on a map. But, oh man, every day of the week, I'd take a 10 mile flat hike over a two mile vertical. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> steep hike right, every day yeah. of the week with an elk it's so hard to like go up and downhill with a big elk load mm-hmm. yeah so that's that's a big one but anyway enough on the tips how to find spots so what uh you went last year josh i know we did a little bit of this together but uh like what was your process and how did you uh how did you end up looking for spots Oh, wow. Yeah. So I went Google. So I first picked the unit because I, uh, I think, I don't remember how I picked the unit actually, now that I think about it, but uh, got the unit and then looked at Google Earth Pro, looked at where I was parking and then just a few mile radius from where I parked because I didn't want to go super deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I didn't want to go through super thick stuff too. Um, but I, yeah, I don't really remember how I step-by-step picked where I think the best elk hunting spot was. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, and I think that's pretty similar to a lot of guys and how I did it first, which is you look for the trailhead first, mm-hmm. like you look for the point of access, then you look for the spot. Um, and that's, you know, not to be harsh here, that's exactly the wrong way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's also exactly how I did it the first year or two. Yeah. Uh, right. Because what it ends up doing is taking you straight to the spot everybody else looks at and goes, that's where I want to go. Right. Yeah. There, a were cars there. there were a lot of cars there. <laughs> so where someone parks, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. oh man, that's, that's such a bad, bad way because you end up with all the other guys. Um, yeah. Good thing I did it last year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's only one way to learn this stuff, right? Like, yeah. Even if I tell you know tell someone exactly what to do, they'll often have to go do it themselves just to learn that like oh yeah that doesn't work right right it's you know I've done things that I said the only way I've learned all this is by going out and failing so yeah part of the game yeah so my you know, my general thought on like the steps to go find stuff like step one is always you start a tree line because that's if we're talking archery elk here 
just to clarify for guys. And there's other ways to go look for rifle elk, and we can do that later maybe. But what happens with those elk is they, they'll feed down in the winter to somewhere that's below the snow line or just into light snow, the winter there. And then as the snow starts to melt, they basically follow it up in elevation because where that snow is melting, it waters the grass, which means the grass is super green and lush, which is exactly what they want, right? Yeah, wait, so this might be a dumb question, but so winter comes, it snows, and then the lower elevations start to melt. And then the, basically like the snow cap starts to shrink all the way up to the top. Is that right? Yeah, that's okay. pretty much it. And it's never this clean, but it just, you know, it just goes up in elevation every week, right? Okay. Basically. And so come August, September, it's either all gone or it's all up to like 11,000 feet, you know, 12, 14,000 feet, that kind of thing. Gotcha. And that's uh tree line is like a really critical area because that's the last area that elk really feel comfortable, right? They don't, they don't like to sleep in the open. They generally like to sleep in the trees. Yeah. So by tree line, do you mean like uh, where the trees stop or where they start? Like where they stop. Yeah. So exactly like high elevation. It's where the, it's the point at which the soil and the uh, sunlight is just too thin for the trees. Well, oh, the got it. That it just doesn't, the ratio doesn't work. So in Colorado, that's like 11,000 ish feet in Idaho. That's like nine ish thousand feet somewhere okay. in there. So the example would be in Colorado at a lot, like above 11,000 feet, there's no more trees. Exactly. Or, or they yeah. thin out. Okay. Got it. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. It'll just be all grass or, you know, high elevation is just rock obviously, but right. There's like this little margin of one to 2000 feet. That's kind of all grass. Okay, so you start at tree line, and then you go up or down, or uh, so I generally go down. So I'd say kind of the the one to two thousand feet around tree line is like generally the altitude that the elk are going to want to be in, right? And that narrows down a lot of territory pretty quick because a lot of Whoa. guys, like, I don't even know where to start, right? Like they're at five thousand feet, are they at nine thousand feet, and like, don't hear me wrong. I really don't want a lot of guys posting angry comments about, dude, I've killed elk at five, 6,000 feet. They're totally in those places too, <laughs> like wherever it is. But if you want a foolproof way to go, okay, there's probably going to be elk here this time of year, the 2,000 feet below tree line are going to be a pretty safe bet. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about tree line at all last year. No wonder I yep. didn't see any elk. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's not foolproof yet. There's a lot yeah. of things that come with it. But mm -hmm. so then when we've got that, then it's kind of like, okay, this is the band at which they're going to be in. And then I start looking for access points and doing the exact opposite of what we both did our first year. Instead of looking for access points, I'm looking for access points to avoid. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. Yep. So I'm literally going, okay, is there a trailhead there? Okay, that's bad. That's real bad, right? Or is there a, you know, you can see from google earth is there an area where it looks like people camp a lot or pull out or do that sort of thing there okay that's really bad um and what i'm doing with that is i'm looking for areas between those points or somewhat close to those points oh. like a good example of this is one of the most dynamite spots i've ever well actually I didn't even hunt it but i just walked in there twice and both times it was loaded with elk in colorado mm -hmm. it was literally on the highway between you know, a little pass through the mountains. I like pulled over like on the dirt shoulder of the highway, hopped the barrier and walked up this little canyon. And mm -hmm. it was absolutely loaded with elk because like zero people go, I want to go elk hunting in the beautiful big West. And they park on the side of a freaking freeway and walk up into a, a canyon. And they all know that, right? And there were trailheads on both sides of that mountain 
on either side down that freeway, but those elk were just right in there. They were just stacked in there, right? Wow. So that's a good, that's like a good example of what you're looking for. You're looking for an area that if you were to go to those access points, you just looked for like, where is, where are those people going to push the elk? So if there's an access point three miles up the road and then an access point on the other side, go right in between those two, right? And there might look there, okay, there might be a good little valley or something in that way. So all the elk from those areas are going to get pushed kind of into that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Dang, all the secrets are coming out. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to have to kill this, some of this stuff if, if we get too popular. We'll <laughs> <laughs> be going back and like deleting all my strategies. We're like, wait, no, everybody's showing up there. No one's at the access points. <laughs> exactly right. Everybody's in my spot. Wait, so the access points though, so let's say they're, okay, we look at the access points to avoid. That's where everyone's going to park. That's where everyone's going to camp. And then obviously there's trailheads leading out of those access points. So are you suggesting to pick a spot where there is no trailhead leading into the unit? Yes and no. One, like if you're, if I have one statement I feel really comfortable about making, it's that if you're not hunting elk off a trail, you're, you're not hunting elk. Like you might get lucky, but you're going to you're going to have horrible success because everyone else is going to be on the trail. Mm -hmm. And even if people in hunting season aren't on the trail, the elk are used to people on the trail other times of the year. And they just don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to get off the trail. That being said, that doesn't mean you have to start with no trail. You have plenty of places I've hunted. You walk up a trail and then cut off for like a mile. Right. It's not a bad way to do it too. Um, I killed two or two bulls in Colorado doing that exact, exact method. Mm -hmm. but guys also they get too obsessed about having a marked trail right they're just comfortable with it when you get up to idaho or colorado there's going to be so many game trails if you're in an area with elk there's going to be so many air game trails that are just elk are big animals they're going to knock down a lot of brush and terrain right they're incredibly easy to follow like yeah you're gonna have to hop over logs elk don't really care about deadfall as much but they're a heck of a lot easier to get around on than you'd think yeah yeah, so it's not you don't have to have a trail, and I think the more the less trails you have, the better as a general rule. Gotcha. Okay, but they're also good to know, and that's why you want to look at that hunt planner because treat a trail kind of like a road, like a lesser version of a road. You know, you know guys are going to be on it, so it's going to push people a certain way. Right. Right. Uh, and so often a trail might go up to this beautiful looking basin or area with a lot of the three factors we'll talk about here in a minute, and guys all are going to go there. And you can use that to your advantage and go, okay, well, if I go half a mile up that three mile trail and then just cut off and go left, I'm doing something. Everybody's like, why would you do that? And that's perfect. Nice. Okay, yeah. cool. So first step, sub 2000 feet around tree line. And second step, find all the access points to avoid. Totally. Yeah, okay. Two good steps. And that, neither of them is a guarantee, but like it's a good general thing to get people started. Right. Uh, you know, then and we've talked about this in other episodes, but like picking the right distance from those spots. Right. So it's not like you do, it's not a super logical process because you can't go, okay, here's the elk spots, then here's the access. You have to look at them both at the same time. Mm -hmm. But you want to figure out are these within the range which I'm comfortable hiking? So we talked yeah. about it. It's like that magical two to five miles, whatever it is, you know, you're starting to figure out the things you're screening spots by, right? You might find a spot between two trailheads that has these good, you know, great places that look good. We'll talk about tactically identifying those in a second, but oh man, it's seven miles in, forget it. 
or yeah. once this all starts to come together, you're like, Ooh, this is a good spot. So step three, just making sure the spots at tree line, you know, are at a really good distance for what you want to do. And they're far enough from other trails. Right. Gotcha. So you're taking step one and two, looking at those options and then putting the two and two together. Totally. And so now that you've done all that, you've now kind of done the most important thing, which is figuring out access and getting away from people, right? Like that's, like I said, that's always the number one thing. If you want to kill elk and OTC type stuff, Mm -hmm. Uh, then it's about like the three things elk really want, right? It's feed, water, and bedding. So like, is there food around? Is there water for them to drink? And are there good areas for them to hang out and feel safe? And like, that's everything. Right. I almost said food, water, and air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they like air, but that's not going to narrow it down for you. <laughs> so food, water, and bedding. Okay. Yep, exactly. Uh, and so, you know, my always too many facts, but elk drink, I think it's over 10 or 15 gallons of water a day with a G. Holy. Yeah. So it's like water is, if I had to start with one of those three, it'd be water because that is unbelievably important to them. And elk, you know, 10 gallons of water too, you can't just like fill your whole stomach once. They've got to access that water a few times a day. And like Mm -hmm. we talked about with the moon where they're going to come back in the middle of the day, right? Like they're going to be bouncing back and forth to a water source. Okay. So you'd prioritize water. Mm -hmm. And then especially early in the season too, man. Oh, because it's dry. It's so hot. It's so dry. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. So water. And then how do you find food on a map? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And this is, I guess that's something we could spend a good amount of time on each of these. It's really hard to find, you know, each different piece. And maybe we talk water, finish okay. off water and then we'll do the food bit, but yeah, water can be a ton of things. Right. And I think guys also, when you think water, you think what pond, lake, river, right? Something mm-hmm. big. Uh, but elk, they do need a lot of water, but they don't need a big water source. So I've seen a whole herd of like 30 elk that lives this one little basin, it's unbelievable. They're literally there every year. All wow. three years have been there. They're there. Same bull because he has this distinctive right antler. Uh, we call him tall boy because he's got these really tall and narrow antlers. It's pretty funky. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all drink out of this little two by two wallow. Just wow. Two foot by two foot wallow. That's it. So and could it, you just sit there basically? <laughs> you probably could. Um, the problem with it is it's not in a great area and the winds are always funky there. Uh, I see. And like, that's, that's another huge thing. When we talk elk tactics, we'll get into is like hunt elk on your terms, <laughs> not on their terms, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, that's their terms and that's a bad spot for you to be. So yeah. Gotcha. It, yeah. It would, yeah. If it was perfect, oh man, I'd be there all day because there would be elk there all day. But again, chicken and egg, they're not going to feel safe somewhere going to something every day if they know this is a bad setup for them. So Right, right. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's little we'll tiny things that you, and this is why that historical data is so important because often some of the water sources you get and the wallows you get, they, uh, they don't even show up on the map. And really the only way to see them is to look at Google earth in August, September, October, and you'll see this weird patch of trees, especially somewhere like Idaho where there's not as many trees. Mm-hmm. You see this weird patch of trees and you look around the trees and it's just like this green lush grass. And everything else is like dry and brown. You're like, wait, what the heck? Oh, that makes sense. And so what that yeah. is, it's like a little spring or a wallow in that patch of trees. And that is, and then if you find elk tracks going there, that's money, right? There's, oh. there's elk all over that spot. Um, and you'll see there's one spot in Idaho we go to that's literally a patch of these 
normally it's not this obvious, but it's a patch of 20 trees in the middle of this hillside. And it's just got like three or four wallows in it. And there are thousands of elk trails coming to that thing. Oh, wow. It's interesting that like sometimes you can't even see the water, but you just see that it's lush all the time. And I Mm -hmm. guess that's why it's so important to be able to see different months of the year. So you can really confirm that there is water there. Totally. Without even seeing the water. Without even seeing it. Yeah. And you can, you can see wallows on Google earth, like very clearly. Those are phenomenal things to mark, like really good things to mark because a wallow is created by elk you know, nine out of 10 times. Sometimes oh. you have just these naturally occurring little seeps, but mm-hmm. almost always they dig out a marshy area. They dig out a hole in a marshy area and that lets the water seep into it and make a little oh. thing, like mini lake, right? Like a two by two mini lake. Interesting. And then they roll in it and pee in it and do all that stuff. Um, and we'll talk more about what to look for in wallows later uh, in the series. But if you find those on Google Earth, those are dynamite, mark them. Make sure you go to every single one of those because that's, If you were to say, if you had to check a spot in 30 minutes, I'd say, okay, I'm going to drop my pack, put on my running shoes. I'm going to go hit the five wallows I marked (laughs) in that valley and look for sign because they're going to come to them at some point, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's a good way to do it. Um, Yeah. So that's water. Uh, Maybe the last thing I'll say on water is that elk, they don't need to be on top of it, right? They travel like to you or me, a set of 10 stairs is probably what an elk thinks of of like a 500 foot mile long descent. (laughs) (laughs) It's no big deal for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's not like they've got to be on top of it, but it's got to be within like a mile, maybe a half a mile of where the other stuff is. Okay. And then um, you touched a lot on wallows. What about other larger or even smaller or yeah, different sources of water, like springs, streams, lakes, ponds? Totally. And they can, they can use that stuff. That's all good. That counts. Um, it is funny though. They do seem to have a preference for smaller bodies of water. Huh. Do you think it's because of safety? Yeah, it's part safety. Uh, you know, one of my go-to tactics in elk season, if I'm in a little valley and I'm worried about my scent blowing around because it's too small, is I'll get right down in the creek. I mean, like I'll put my tent almost in the creek because mm-hmm. that creek has this kind of saturated air, right? And it does two things. It kills scent and, um, and it also keeps you, like it keeps, uh, mutes noise. Right. Oh yeah, that's right. So both of those things are great. And so I think elk, if you're near a real burbly little Creek and they kind of know that, and I think they're not as comfortable with like these big raging rivers and creeks as they are with something that's totally silent and still Oh, kind of okay. sneak into, they love that. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. The biggest bulls I've ever seen always sneak into these tiny little wallows. You know, they wallow in it, they drink, they're out. Yeah. yeah they love that. So it's a good, yeah, it's a good question. Cool. Okay, so that's so water. That's water. Bedding areas. Let's do it. That'd be second. Actually, do you think? Uh, priority? Yeah, I think it would be. Um, but let's actually let's do let's do the feed bit just because it is tied in with water. Like okay. they generally go together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your question was like, well, how the heck do you find feed? Like, where is it? Right. Right. Yeah. That's and that's probably the hardest one to answer. And yet again, another reason to look at stuff in August, September, October on Google Earth, because really all you're looking for is green. So if the trees are too thick, grass just doesn't really grow in the, like below them, right? It like cuts out the sunlight, doesn't work. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things you're looking for. One, of course, the most obvious is like a meadow, like a straight up meadow. But often, too, what you think is a meadow might be like brush. Mm. So they're not foolproof ways. 
um, you can look for avalanche shoots, right? So you're looking at a steep side of the mountain and you see these patches of trees and what looks like a line straight down between them. Yeah. That's from a historical avalanche and that's a great place because the, tr- the elk love it because they can hang out in the trees, zip out into the avalanche shoots, munch the grass, go back into them, right? Right. Uh, more so rifle season, that's a dynamite place, but it can work pretty well for archery if there's water around. Okay. Why is it better for rifle season than archery? So once they're done with the, the rut, the bulls just try to find the safest, most secluded spot. Oh, okay. So kind of, and at that point, there's water everywhere because there's generally snow. Yeah, yeah. There are areas they wouldn't be because there was no water. And like the top of an avalanche chute, they love that because they're just okay. way the heck away from anything. Interesting. Yeah, their instinct is to isolate and regain all those pounds before the winter right. comes. They're frozen right. out. Yeah. Okay, so we got meadows, avalanche chutes. Yeah. Uh, another really good one is like slight thinnings in the trees. And that's probably the number one thing elk like. Because they what happens is it just thins out enough that it grows grass, but there's still the protection and the quiet of those trees. Mm-hmm. Right. And they feel really comfortable in that. Aspen trees by nature are pretty thin. So they generally have grass under them. I'm more talking like pine trees, right? That have these little clearings. And what that'll look like be kind of like that water, right? It would be trees that are super dense. And then there'll be this little tiny patch, maybe a mini meadow, and you'll see a lot of green in there. Oh, interesting. Okay. okay. That's a good spot. So you know, if you're walking through the trees, there's a ton of grass in there. Right. I love that. That's a really good spot. Yeah. It sounds like the slight thinning of the trees area is like a best of both worlds scenario. If, if I was putting myself into an elk's brain, like mm-hmm. you still have trees for cover, but there's still food everywhere. Yeah. And if you find one of those, uh, you're one of those on the steep side of a mountain, that's, oh, you're in dynamite. Elk, oh, nice. elk absolutely love steep, right? Steep is safe for them. They know their advantage. They're super strong. They're super powerful. They can go up that stuff faster than almost anything. Got it. Um, and they also have really good vantage points. They've got thermals. You know, the wind's, uh, wind's heavy. It sinks or rises up or down. So if you're in a flat area, it doesn't really go anywhere. If you're on the side of a mountain, it's always moving. Oh, okay. So they love steep, right? Mm-hmm. That's Now we're kind of, again, these things all blend together, right? We're kind of getting into bedding. Um, what they like, ideally, everybody says this. You're going to hear this, all these guys, you know, north-facing slopes, north-facing slopes. Uh, and I think that's the wrong way to describe it. What elk like is shade. They like cool and shade because they've got this thick fur that helps them get through the winter. It's the middle of stinking August or September. It's 70 degrees during the day. They like to be a little cool. So yeah, if a north, if a slope is north facing, that means that it's in the shade during the middle of the day. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. That being said, I mean, 50% of my best elk spots are south or west or east. I mean, they're great spots that elk just, they're just looking for a thick enough stand of trees to get out of the sun, right? Right. So you're looking for that. You're looking for thick trees, somewhere they can go hang out. But above all, you're looking for like these little mini benches. And you're looking for um, areas that are close to the water and the feed. Yeah. And a bench is like a flat divot in the, like a mountainside, right? Yeah. It's literally, it is what it sounds like. It's as if you were to take 
you know, the, the butt part of a bench and stick it into the side of a house, right? right, you right. Have this okay. little tiny thing that's sticking out. Um, that is what they want. They want to find somewhere that's flat. They can hang out, but it's got steep stuff all around it, uh, that sort of thing. And that, again, it's massive generalization, right? Mm-hmm. Like if they can find one of those attributes, they're excited. If they can find all of them. They're really, really stoked. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they, yeah, you're looking for that generally. Do they ever, do they bed in their feeding areas ever or are they always separate? Almost always separate. Um, and I don't know if that's instinctual. It's, you know, a lot of it's to do with the thermals, right? So as the day progresses in somewhere like Idaho, this changes in different areas. Typically what an elk's going to do is wake up in the morning or sorry, not wake up in the morning, wake up in the evening. Mm-hmm. And in the evening, the air has gotten hot throughout the day and it's you know, hot air rises, right? So yeah. the air is going to be blowing up the side of the mountain towards the elk. They like to go into the wind because that means anything ahead of them, they're going to smell it. Right. Right. So they'll, you know, they'll be bedded way up high on the top, near the top of the mountain or two thirds of the way up the ridge, whatever it is, they'll come down. Right. They'll come mm-hmm. down the into the wind. Um, in and then all night they'll kind of be down low. They'll feed in these areas or lower, you know, low is always relative, right? Mm-hmm they'll feed in those areas. And then in the morning, all night, the air cools down, the thermal switch, the air starts pouring down the mountain. They go back up into that air, back up to their bedding area. Oh, so I see. it takes so much risk out of their day to day because they're not just wandering around without knowing predators are there. The travel time they're doing is into the wind always. And they know mm-hmm. what's going on. Oh, got it. Okay. So it's because of the, because of the thermals and these other factors, this is why their bedding and their feeding areas tend to be a little bit farther apart. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm not a biologist. I guess I don't know the exact reasons. I think that's one of them. You know, I've also, animals are incredibly tidy. You know, I remember we had some, a guy with some alpacas or pack alpacas next to us last year and they, they were incredible. They pooped in exactly, he put them on a tether for like three days and they pooped in exactly one spot and ate a giant circle around their tether. Whoa. And I think the animals know too, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to be constantly in the same area. They're, they're pooping and they're peeing and they're eating and they're, yeah, they, they've got to cover a lot of ground. Elk right. also tend to have one bedding area they love and then multiple feed spots. Oh, okay. That's a good point. Cause they've got to eat. Oh man, what was it? We're looking this up a little bit ago. Yeah, it's 15 to 25 pounds of food. Wow. Like think about 15 to 25 pounds of grass, <laughs> right? And there's like 20 elk. That's, that's yeah. an insane amount of grass. So they might mow through a whole meadow in a day. They're not going to come back Dang. for two weeks until the grass regrows, right? So again, they kind of have their little spot. So man, I'm going down some some great rabbit holes here, but now you've got three things that they love, right? You've got water, you got feed, and you got a bench or like a little spot that they want to bed on a north-facing mm-hmm. slope. And it's, again, like we talked about earlier, a lot of benches you can't see. So don't try to go find a bench on Google Earth and be like, I need this. Like maybe a north-facing slope in and of itself like will have all these little mini benches on it. You're just looking for really thick timber that looks like it could be shaded. Got it. Okay. So you would say water is probably number one, most important. Second thing would be shade and possibility for where benches would be. And then third would be food. Yep, exactly. And then so now you've got those three, you know, again, I didn't give you a foolproof recipe. You can't be like that, 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 because you could probably find all three of those in 50 areas in one Valley. 
Mm-hmm. But now you start to add it together. You're like, okay, you're kind of away from the road. You're away from the access point. This is the general area. Here's food, water, bedding. Now I'm going to really look. Are there trails? Are there wallows? Is there stuff that looks like sign? And if you start to find that, you can kind of piece it together. You're like, well, hey, that trail goes from here to here. And you'll notice those trails are going to do what? They're going to link their feed and their bedding areas or their mm-hmm. water, their bedding area, right? Mm-hmm. And so they kind of point. You use those as arrows to point to where those things are. Gotcha. And then you start to piece together like, oh, this spot looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then is the next step in the process to find a few of those spots and just start comparing? Totally. Yeah. And that's it. And start you know, knocking them down and dropping, dropping off a pin. And when you find, uh, I mean, it's always hard to do this because we're not doing visuals, but it's even if I had visuals, it'd be really hard to describe it because what you're just, you're looking for is all those things together mm-hmm. and it'll make sense to you. You'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Look, there's sign there. There's water there. There's feed there. There's, you know, wallows and trails there. Like that's, that's a good bet. Right. Right. And then you pick out your, that's where you can start to pick out your A spot, B spot, C mm-hmm. spot. Oh, and then by that point, maybe you don't even need to go boots on the ground scouting. Cause I mean, when you're there, it's a different season anyway. Yeah. So elk are in different areas. So maybe you just show up to your A spot. And if it's not there, you already have plan B to go to. And I'm super proud of you, Josh, because I think this is the first time you've got ahead of me. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're you're familiar with the A, the B, the C spot, but that's like my last big piece of advice for this is like, guys, you have to have an A, a B, a C, a D, an E, an F spot, because no matter how good you are at this process, you can't tell. Mm -hmm. And I would also, like you asked a really good question, which is, you know, like, what about three spots? Are they together? Are they far away? Like I would think of those as very different things. Like the, there's not, if you look at a valley and you see three different spots in that valley that look good, those aren't your A, your B and your C spots. Oh, okay. That's, that's A.1, A.2. Wow. We're getting real geeky, but you get what I mean, right? Like that is, <laughs> those are like spots in that valley to check. Right. When I think A, B, C, D spots, I'm thinking like mile or two from each other at least, right? Like you are fundamentally leaving an area. Right. Uh, because there's a big difference between checking all the likely spots in an area versus going to an entirely new area. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So there's one area, like that A area, you can be hike, you can be hunting the whole time when you're in that area. But if mm-hmm. you're going to a new area, there's going to be need, there needs to be like a, a hike out essentially, or a transition or a travel period where you hike out to that new area or drive totally. out even. And that's dynamite areas too they're often not, it's not, Hey, I found one individual a dot one spot that looks bomb, right? If you put all your eggs in that basket, that's a really bad bet. What's a dynamite dynamite area in my mind is like, so let's think of it this way. If you find one great mini spot like that, that's a roll of the dice, Mm -hmm. right? That's like a 5% chance there's elk there. But if you find 20 spots like that in one Valley, like, boom, (laughs) That's right. not good statistics, but it's close to 100%. <laughs> like that's that's when you go, wow, this is a good spot to hunt because like the odds are when there's that much great terrain and stuff they like, they're gonna really want to be in there. And you know, unless someone or something forces them out, the odds are they're gonna be in that valley. Like we talked about, they're not like deer. You can't pattern them usually. They're not gonna be in the same spot every day, but they're gonna right. be in that general vicinity. Does that make sense? I see. That makes so much sense. So rather than like 
being so hard set on this one micro A.1 spot that has everything perfect, it'd be much better to find another general area that even if not those little spots within it are not all perfect, but there's a bunch of them. Yep. Let me, that's it. Let me describe the spot that I've, and I've checked, you know, probably 50 elk spots at this point in time of the spot I found in Idaho. I remember Mm -hmm. seeing it on a map and being like, dear sweet goodness. Um, I need to go there. And I, I love that feeling. It's almost like hunting, right? It's like something like an elk stepped out. You get that same feeling of anticipation of like, oh, this is, I need to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, there's a wilderness area. I'm trying, actually, you know what? Let me hold up. <laughs> hey, careful, careful now. <laughs> careful here. I'm thinking <laughs> it's near an area where there's trailheads. Okay. There's actually trailheads. It's great. Trailheads aren't bad. The trailheads all go another direction. And there is one trail, but it kind of goes around this spot. And there's a small valley that then goes in and opens up into like two or three, four, five, even small, like a bigger valley with four or five mini valleys off of it. Okay. And every one of those little tiny valleys has great stuff. One's got a lake in it. One's got a stream. One's got, you know, each of them has a wallow or two in it. You know, one of them's got like three wallows in a spring one had a wallow that i kid you not i could see from space like this wallow is 80 feet across whoa guys don't believe me but it's unbelievable it's like the world's biggest elk wallow Mm -hmm. um but when i'm seeing that i start getting more and more and more and more excited because i'm like man i can hike in go up this ridge post up and look in all five of these valleys in the morning oh and i'm almost 100 confident i'm gonna see elk and when i've been there I, I realized it's better than I even thought. It's like there's elk in out of the five or six valleys, there's always elk in like four or five of them. Dang. So what I'm doing is I'm going from, this is how I'm upping my chances. I'm going from little mini mm-hmm. valley to mini valley. You know, if I blow a shot, I'm into the next one, right? Or if right. I, if they're just not playing ball, I'm into the next one. And that's the, that's a great elk spot. So that's an A spot, right? And I've got a mm-hmm. B spot, a C spot, a D spot that are all places. I'm like, I think these look pretty good. Dang, I was going to say, uh, no wonder you have such a high success rate. Like you put, just put so much time into this e-scouting that you found a freaking unbelievably good spot that you can yeah. just hunt in. And it stacks, you just stack the deck, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's not, again, we're getting back to the elk hunting maxims. It's like the amount of time you spent hunting, right? Not like how many weeks you take off, but the amount of time you're in an area, you can kill an elk in a day. Right. right. That's two or three hours a day because you hiked in every morning and out every night. That's bad. But if you're in one of these spots, you know, 12 hours out of the day, it's just a numbers game, mm-hmm. right? Like you're going to have enough encounters um, and it's going to go well. So it's, that's, that's the power of e-scouting, right? Is you can get into these spots that are phenomenal and I'll spare you the 20 minute diatribe, but I also, everyone says elk are transitory and they are like, trust me, they move, but when you find a good spot like that and there's no pressure on it, I've seen the same elk, the same elk three years in a row in three of those little basins. Wow. I know exactly which one is which, and I know exactly which one I want to try to shoot because once they find a good spot like that, they don't have any motivation to move, right? They'll just cycle through all their feeding spots and they got their bedding spot. They're just going to stay there until the second they have to go. Yeah. And so a lot of guys, you know, well, and I think the general advice that elk aren't patternable is very true, but I also do think if you find good spots, you're going to find them there year after year. Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting when they say elk is not patternable, if they're referring to like at a macro level or at like a micro level. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who knows, man, if there was an answer, then uh, everybody be shooting them, but yeah, that's right. 
some of the experiences I've had so far. Yeah. And this is so interesting because what you talk about access points, like it really takes years of experience to learn this kind of stuff. For example, both of us, the first time we went, we just picked the access point to avoid and just went right there. So yeah, yeah. no wonder like it's just experience that starts to add up, but it's cool to get to learn from people that are more experienced like you and yeah, can condense all these years into hours. And that's, yeah, that's what I did, right? Like, I don't, I think I'm in that perfect dangerous spot where I've got enough experience to still have the mindset of someone who started to like know the questions that matter, but I've got enough experience to like be able to speak from a position of like, I'm confident in my ability. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I like, I didn't sit there and go, I've got this figured out. I went and talked to like 20, 30, 50 guys, you know, every guy I'd meet at a trailhead, I'd be picking his brain. Mm -hmm. Um, also, when you do meet guys at a trailhead, don't ever trust what they say about whether the elk are there. Because, <laughs> dude, if you put all that effort in to find your magic spot and some guy pulls up the trailhead and is like, hey, you're the elk around. What are you going to do? Uh, no, uh, I don't see any. <laughs> but the way, but like picking their brain is as far as like the things to look for and like where they killed an elk and how that went down. And like, those are, those are really valuable lessons. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Is that a wrap or... I think that is what's, well, you know, hopefully we've convinced guys to e-scout. You know, I know it's like a lot of, sounds pretty techy. It's not as hard as you think. You have the blog, uh, baxterbowman.com. Um, and this is in the hunt elk in 2020 series. It's, it's part number six. You just go check it out. It's got the detailed play by play, how to download it, how to install all these different things, get it set up. Like it's not as hard as you think. It's super valuable, right? Yeah. Super valuable. Um, I'm actually, I'm really excited to e-scout now. Um, I just got to finalize the unit yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to just, just with like a magnifying glass, just scour it. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's actually a good last piece of advice is that I probably say that about the 50 things, one last thing. <laughs> but you know, it's, I present this as a very linear fashion just cause like I want to be able to give guys structure cause it's a really <laughs> difficult process. Right. But I often am looking at spots while I'm picking the unit right because i know my style i know what i'm looking for i know kind of my fitness and that sort of thing so if i'm you know a unit might have great stats but i'm kind of i'll just go spend two or three hours digging through all the different spots in the unit and be like is that kind of what i want um and that's what happened with this spot in idaho too i was looking at two or three units and i just like was skimming and looked at this and was like oh man yeah and that's that locked in my unit that's oh, why okay. I never so, recommend guys pick units and then look for spots. It's like find two or three units, right? And kind of it's you know a blend of the two. Yeah, it's really interesting. You pick a a big area, you pick a state, then you pick a general area with a few units, then you go in and start looking around, finding your smaller actual areas, like the A area, B area, but um, slowly zeroing in and getting to those spots. Totally, and that's the fun part, man. That's part of the adventure. Like that's what. That's why I love hunting, right? It's an adventure and you get to enjoy the process and like mm -hmm. pursuit. Everything, everything in life is a pursuit, right? Uh, yeah. You're going after it. And so this, like I can hunt year round when I'm doing this stuff. So I'm, I love it. I'm all about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. This feels like hunting. Like you're just zeroing in, in on it. You're it just from the very far to get all the way from here. Yeah. Hundreds of miles away to get to 40 yards. <laughs> or 20 yards. It's just all part of the process, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. And you get a little rush like, Oh, there's a wallow. There's a wallow. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I'll tell you, like, if you've, you've ever gambled and you like hit red and everything <laughs> like this yeah. feeling you get when you hike into one spot you think is great and you walk up to the first wallow or 
water source or whatever it is and there's a fresh sign everywhere oh, or you oh, like man. glass and you see an elk you're just like mm-hmm. yes like nice. this is this all paid off right like it's a feeling of success and accomplishment right off the bat even if you don't shoot an elk man i'm so excited <laughs> nice you're getting you fired up josh yeah. we're all in quarantine awesome. but we're uh we're doing what we can doing what we can yeah practicing yeah. in the backyard running and then soon e-scouting yeah exactly well we should probably wrap with that but uh you know guys i always ask it please like or subscribe that's so you can help us out for putting the effort into this definitely go to the websites check out the article uh please do sign up for the newsletter um there's really it's not me trying to sell you something it's the only way i can keep in contact with you so it lets me send you all the gear reviews, all the articles I'm publishing, all the podcasts, videos coming soon. So it's just like one email a week that lets me send you everything. So I love it because it feels like my connection to guys and I have a lot of really cool conversations with them on email um, about what they're doing. So go sign up for the newsletter, shoot me a note and uh, we'll have a little conversation a la my convo with Josh here. Awesome. And as always, thank you so much for listening. And uh, yeah, go download Google Earth Pro right away and then go check out that blog post to see exactly how to use it and all that good stuff. Awesome. Cool. Thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you guys next time.